0: I'm so glad we we, we rescued this. This, this...
1: <laughs> I know it would have been hard to uh, hard to replicate.
0: This was so dangerously close to not happening for at least a few weeks while we regrouped. Yeah, but man, what a great save! Just because great to see Asha again. It was great to uh, see her back in the fray. You know, she kind of retracted into herself for a while while she uh, coped with her dad's death.
1: I think there are a lot of people that had things that were really horrible that happened to them in 2020. And they just haven't been able to really process or grieve it because they didn't have access to all of our normal rituals and systems and structures and the way we all function together to process this kind of stuff. I mean, the pandemic isn't over People are back doing a lot of normal things, but there just sort of hasn't been any recognition that we're still in the pandemic, that there's still some stuff we can't do. I don't know. It's just all kind of
0: screwed up. It's interesting that all his friends are still in the Bay Area and now they're all settled in Portland. I mean, it's not a small thing. to get Well, and she also said
1: her dad was really private, right? Like there are a lot of people who don't actually want a memorial service.
0: Well, it's not about them. A memorial service is about the people who love you. It's not about you. It's for That's their, for absolutely
1: their true. But there are people who specifically say, I don't want you to have a memorial service. So then what do you do when that person dies? You dishonor the person by having a memorial service for yourself. Like, I just feel like it's an impossible situation.
0: Well, like, I mean, so if either of your parents said, do not have a memorial for me, you wouldn't do it?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't do it if they didn't want me to.
0: I would come up with
1: some other mechanism, right? But I'm also a rituals person, right? Like, I mean, I love a rubric. I love a ritual. So if I was cut off from the normal morning ritual in our culture, I would come up with something else. But Yeah,
0: I think they just get together and say, don't call it a memorial. Right. Just we're all getting together because we need to grieve this out.
1: And you think about how many cultures have conflicting traditions around disposing of the body, burial, cremation, whatever. But most cultures have some concept of awake, sitting Shiva, whatever you want to call it, right? Of the people getting together and telling stories. I don't know. I mean, no, but if my parents were like, I don't want a memorial service, although I can't imagine either of my parents being like that. You know, a couple of years ago, they bought burial plots. After, I didn't know that. Yeah. After my dad's aunt, brother died. They went and bought their own plots, and that was our Christmas gift one year. The gift was that my brother and I would not have to deal with it when they died. That was the gift.
0: Well, what about you? Have you thought about where you'd like to be?
1: Oh, I've absolutely thought about the whole thing. After my uncle died, I wrote exactly what I wanted to have for my funeral and all of that kind of stuff and sent the order of service and the order of everything both to our kids and to my brother and sister-in-law. Yeah, I would like to be, be cremated right? and the joke is that I would like my ashes divided and put into one of those, you know, like your ashes put like into two paperweights and force each of the kids to display the paperweight with my ashes prominently in their house. Like, That's it's always not a
0: joke. For real. <laughs> but what kind of quantity of ashes goes into a paperweight? I mean, how big is this paperweight gonna end up being? <sighs>
1: I don't know the ones. So the reason I know about these paperweights are that when my grandmother died, my uncle and I were the ones who were in charge of the funeral, the obituary, all that kind of stuff. And we were at the funeral home and they had these paperweights there and they're, I don't know, they're like maybe four to six inches in diameter. And they just look like a swirled blown glass paperweight. It looks like sand on the inside, but it's ashes.
0: And you're letting the kids control what those paperweights eventually look like? Or do you well, the particular... kids are going to
1: control the whole thing. I'm only, like, I don't have any control over whether this actually happens. I just created a document to give people guidance. If they don't follow through, it's not going to be my business at that point. I'm so they got to figure them... out what those
0: paperweights are going to look like. Like, um, maybe it'll look like that nutcracker that's been sitting around here for 11 years.
1: <laughs> I'm providing them comic material. I'm not dictating any actual actions.
0: Well, maybe since it's two boys, they could have statues of matching gay cardinals.
1: (laughs) Maybe they could have matching gay cardinals. (laughs) That would be appropriate.
0: (laughs) Well, I really enjoyed, uh, this is Asha Dornfest. Her first claim to fame, I think, was Parent Hacks, which built into a huge platform way back in the day. And then she was on the Edit Your Life podcast with Christine Coe. And now she has re-re-re-emerged as a writer with Parent of Adults, because her... Nest is empty, but her heart is full. (laughs) I'm not sure we're going to use that. (laughs) I liked how she said, like, she's on the other side of it now and ready to write about it again. Because, you know, nothing mutes your voice like being really unsure how you're going to get through the day. What struck you about our discussion about how she's moving on now that her mom's in town and, you know, she's kind of establishing the new template that's going to take her forward?
1: Well, I thought that was it. It was the establishing the new template, the renegotiation of everything. I think it's been interesting, like, you know, my parents and I have sort of renegotiated at every stage, right? When I had our older son and became a parent and they became grandparents, like that was a renegotiation, you know, and then. A couple of years ago, my parents had will drawn up and power returning documents and stuff like that, presented them to my brother and me. And that was another renegotiation. So it just feels like a renegotiation at every stage. And I think it's very good for Asha that she's able to be so conscious about it and that her mom's being so conscious about it too. I also find it very heartening that they're be able to do this renegotiation of their relationship after Asha's kids are out of the house too, because then it isn't like finding a new situation in always, It's just sort of their relationship with each other.
0: And I'm so happy to report that I'm taking down these huge trees. I'm looking forward to your chainsaw, by the way. <laughs> um, but I cut down a lot of trees and put them in the compost bin and they took them.
1: Wow. Good.
0: Well, why don't you stop by here and drop off your chainsaw and I'll give you being mortal. That'll be our okay. Stop.
1: All right. That makes sense.
0: All right, well, then, so here's episode six with Asha Dornfest, and I gotta say, we're publishing it on the longest day of the year, and it seems appropriate, just because when you look at a day that has the most light of any, that's going to feature Asha Dornfest. She's laughing silently. I'm
1: laughing silently because you're so (laughs) sentimental sometimes.
0: I'm very sentimental all the time.
1: Yeah, it's true, you are very sentimental all the time.
2: important and fantastic and i i already emailed you what i thought about your framing i just think it's so i'm right there with you so i'm just anyway i'm really looking forward to this approaching it from this like sense of goodwill and sharing like you talked about this in that first episode that that spirit that we're bringing to these projects that culture is is where it's at
0: well if there's one person that i could think of that epitomizes that spirit of way back in the day it's you
2: that's why I'm such a fangirl of Substack. I mean, I I don't jump onto anything, and I've been actively reducing my sort of online footprint now for several years, and so mm. yeah. Anyway, we can talk about it.
0: But we are talking about it. Okay, good. Well,
2: I mean, <laughs> I think that's to part of the discussion,
0: time. right? I yeah. think that's part of where we are as people. I'm doing yeah. that too. Totally. We've suddenly realized the pernicious underbelly that social media has. And it still has a use. I mean, you just have to work harder to get the most out of it and use it for the resource it was intended to be, or at least could have been. I mean, for example, I love having a private Instagram feed because now I can look at all of the bots and all of the OnlyFans accounts that are trying to follow me, and I can just say, no, thanks.
1: Yeah. Well, Doug, you're a really, really good Instagrammer. Well, thank you. Like, I, I mean, I think about it regularly that you keep your stories updated and curated very interestingly. Like, there's always a good mix of stuff that I'm totally interested in and also stuff that I'm not because it's stuff that you're interested in, but I know some of your people are. You know what I mean? I mean, like, olive sure. cream cheese, right? <laughs> I also think that you have a good grid also.
0: Well, you know that's on my dating profile.
1: (laughs) You, I have a good grid. I have a a job to do, says Doug.
0: (laughs) A good grid and a perfect colon.
1: (laughs) Look, for
2: perfect colon is worth a lot.
0: Yeah, Yeah. when I had my scope, and he said, "You have a perfect colon," and I took that to heart.
2: You got to take it where you get it, right? You you too. We literally got to colonoscopies like within what three
1: minutes. (laughs)
0: it was a very pleasant experience i didn't mind it at all i was out for all of it i
1: I feel like if you're talking about the ratio of patient effort to diagnostic value the colonoscopy is the best thing you can do literally you just have to drink things and then they find out if you have cancer like it's amazing and then you don't do it for five years right hopefully (laughs)
0: Yeah. yeah so what's on the opposite side of that spectrum
1: um, I don't know anything you're awake for, right? I don't.
0: Right. Anything you're awake for? Well, I'd love to talk about this all morning. <laughs> um, I mean, granted, you're talking about stereotypes here. We are older people clinging to the optimism of social media from twenty years ago, and talking about our health procedures and you know. No, oh,
2: no, no, no. I could. Boy, I could I'm working Kamelel on Medicare now. About why now's the time to jump in on online community, personally. But anyway.
0: Uh, I know Thomas is in his bedroom right now, waiting for us to be done so we can come out and make a sandwich. He went out late last night. He saw um, Everything Everywhere All at Once at the Summer Festival.
2: Oh, possibly the best movie ever made. I was just discussing this with my daughter yesterday, who came home from college yesterday. Yeah. Oh, she's home? Yeah, yeah. As of yesterday.
0: How long have you got her? All summer. Oh, she's around all summer.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a fantastic thing. She's got a, a job that she can do remotely, and so she's here, and... Literally, we leapt into discussing that movie, which was just so brilliant. Speaking of like the most poignant story about, you know, parents and children, I mean, that's that movie. I went into that movie not knowing anything, and that was the greatest.
0: Well, and I want to talk about your community and the incentive for you to start your Substack, Parents of Adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because as you said, I mean, you were on Edit Your Life for a very long time, you stepped yeah. away from that. Right. Parent hacks is also a thing of the past in a Mm -hmm. way. And and now you're reemerging in this very particular way. You've talked a lot about what your life is like now that your kids are out from under the roof. So I want to hear about your trip with your mom. I think, I mean, you chronicled it so well, so beautifully. How long has that been in the works as something that either you and she wanted to do or she wanted to see and you wanted to accompany her? But what kind of planning went into that? Well,
2: thanks for asking. My 83-year-old mom has just recently moved to a retirement community in Portland, and it's a huge move. So there's a massive story behind that move, of course. But the bottom line is that move is behind us, and we decided, my mom and I, to plan two separate road trips, sort of to celebrate, sort of to just realize that we don't only have to do the hard stuff, we can also do fun stuff. And I grew up taking road trips with my parents. My mom is a veteran road tripper, knows the US highway system like the back of her hand. And she is a very sort of compromised health and mobility at this stage of her life. So mm-hmm. going on a long road trip is sort of a big deal. She uses a walker, you know, she can't Go upstairs or really walk for any length of time. So, this was definitely a thing. So, yes, it was in the works, partly because we just wanted to do something fun, partly because we wanted to reconnect with family and friends after the pandemic. You know, I was isolated for sure, but my mom, being older, having the health issues that she does, I mean, she was literally sort of by herself for years. And so, this was in many ways, a sort of celebration of all of those things.
1: That's cool. Did you focus mostly on car time? Because it's harder for her to move around?
2: Yeah, so we took two road trips. The first one was Portland to Southern California. Amazingly, that just happened to be timed during that incredible super bloom in California, there was a massive wildflower super bloom because of all the rain in California and we got to see that. So that was just lucky. And yes, it was focused on car oriented things and also accessible things like accessible tours. For example, we took the ADA tour at Hearst Castle in on the central coast of California. Oh. They oh. have all sorts of accessible things for folks who don't have mobility and it right. was amazing. So. That's what we focused on. And then our second trip was Portland all the way down through Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks and, you know, through Salt Lake City to visit a friend and back. National parks are my mom's things. I mean, we are just nature lovers. And my mom wanted to see it again and isn't sure how much time she has to see these things. Because not only does she have mobility challenges, she was also diagnosed with Parkinson's which is degenerative. And so her time, you know, who knows what's going on, really.
0: Well, what kind of resources did you use to find those ADA specific uh, opportunities for Mm -hmm. your mom? So there were things that she could see and get in and out of and enjoy with minimal effort.
2: Right. Well, first of all, these two trips that we took, we were going to places that we were pretty familiar with. So that helped. First of all, my mom has a, you know, disabled parking placard for her car. And that is the number one thing that made our trip so much easier. (laughs) Basically, being able to park near the front anywhere. The world's
0: get out of jail free car.
2: It is the greatest thing ever. Second of all, our road trips are super modest. You know, we stay in like cheap motels, basically. Every motel And hotel has an accessible room. And so we booked those rooms ahead of time. And so those rooms have larger areas. They have bathrooms with more accessible showers, things like that. So we booked those ahead of time. And then other than that, I just Googled. You know, mom said, hey, you know, she would say something because she knows all these places. What if we went here? What if we went there? And then I would start Googling to see what the accessibility of those either tours or destinations or whatever else was possible. And finally, at the national parks, we always go to the visitor center first. And first of all, they had a whole accessibility guide for all the trails in in the parks, which was amazing. And then we would just talk to a ranger and say, what do we do? Mom can't really walk much. This is how much time we have. And they would just set us up.
0: So was there anything that you wanted to do that you found you couldn't because it wasn't accessible or did you find opportunities everywhere you wanted to go?
2: Well, I, I think the answer to both of those things is yes. So first of all, I, I was not going to any of these places hoping that I would see all the sites like I usually <laughs> right. would. This really was about being with my mom. So in that respect, I saw everything I wanted to see. The second thing is there was always something to do. The main thing was for my mom to mentally prepare for the fact that her options were going to be limited. You know, these are all places she's been before, and she went there before with full mobility. And so the challenge for her was to be okay with what we did have access to. And incredibly, she got there. I mean, it took time. You know, because she spent a lot of time being frustrated and, you know, full of regret, actually. But we got into a groove together and just we sort of embraced the time together. We enjoyed what we had and it was it was great. I mean, we laughed a lot. You know, there were times when we were exhausted and irritated with each other and all the other things that happen on a trip. But it was really doable.
0: Yeah. Traveling with anyone is one of the most intimate things you can possibly do.
2: Mm hmm. Every travel experience comes with inconvenience and discomfort and all that stuff. It doesn't matter what kind of great trip you're on, something's going to go wrong,
1: and it's it's just part and parcel of the experience. It completely depends on what mode of travel you are using. What is going to go wrong? You
2: know, it's funny. Practically out of the gate, we had some car trouble, so we spent our first full day.
0: Oh, I at remember the that Subaru yeah. dealership. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and it's funny, Doug. The reason. The reason Doug knows that I was at the Subaru dealership was that I was posting a bunch of this stuff on Instagram stories. And we had to just sort of be okay with hanging out at the Subaru dealer <laughs> instead of doing whatever we had planned. One day it started pouring on us. And my poor mom, like with her walker just getting poured on. I mean, it was, it was so pathetic that we started cracking up because it was funny. <laughs> Luckily, my mom, she's at her best when she's out there doing stuff. And I'm just grateful that we could have those times together because, you know, it's, it's it's been a hard few years for us. It really, really has been. And it's so easy to just get stuck in all of the work of assisting our parents as they get older, especially when they're struggling. And right. I feel so lucky that not only did my mom have the health and the Motivation to make these trips, but I was able to create the time in my life to do it because, you know, that's not always possible. And so I f- feel lucky that I had a, an ability to do that too. I mean, it took a lot of intention, but it was also like seizing the day because you just never know when those opportunities will come along.
0: We both envy the fact that your mom is so close because I have two parents who are a thousand miles that way. She has two parents that are a thousand miles that way. She's moving farther away from those parents in a couple of months. But you have your mom around. I mean, was she far away before? How far was she before she moved to the uh, facility?
2: She was far. So I live in Portland, Oregon. She was in Northern California in the house that I grew up in. Right. The very short version of the story is that my dad passed away suddenly and unexpectedly in February of 2020.
0: I remember Um, that too, yeah.
2: Yeah. And I'm an only child. And so it's just mom and me. My dad was the cooker of dinner, buyer of groceries, Mm. uh, you know, handler of finances, etc. So not only was it a massive shock, you know, um, grief filled shock, it was also for my mom, her, her life changed so dramatically and practically. This was February 2020, March 2020, the pandemic came with lockdown. There were all sorts of things that happened during that, but basically she spent the next however many years by herself, barring a short period of time where she got actually stuck at my house in the beginning of lockdown. You know, she couldn't go home. So it was such a strange time. And so this whole period of time, besides all of that that happened, this was the time for mom to come live near me because she received her Parkinson's diagnosis she really needed help. I also ended up clearing out my parents' house, which was a very formidable job. And I also ended up selling my parents' house, which was something I've never, I've actually never sold a house before. So I did that too. We found a place for my mom to live. I mean, it's funny how I can just say that like it's a sentence, but each of those things (laughs) was like a massive, frightening, huge undertaking. I mean, it's just been big. A lot of change. So this whole thing where mom lives near me now, this is the first time in 22 years that I've lived near my mom. And I'm so glad we're doing it. But you know, our relationship has changed. And I am most definitely, uh, while I'm not a direct caretaker, she is living in an independent living apartment. She needs a lot of my help. And certainly on these trips. I did all the, you know, I carried everything. I did all the door opening. I, You know, I was the person who did all the physical work. So it's a whole new shift, a whole new relationship with my mom.
0: See, I love the way you talked about these momentous things that you did. And it's like, yeah, to say them in like a simple sentence seems to <laughs> give them terrible shrift in terms of recognizing how altering they are of you as a person. Do you I feel any me. more adult as a result of it?
2: Oh my gosh, I I call myself like a fake grown up sometimes because I I think to well myself, we all do geez. I think at one point I, sure well, it's just I think, like I think that's the discovery you know you know I'm gonna be 54 and I'm like geez you know I thought by now maybe an
0: ageless I'd... 54 by the way <laughs> so whatever you're eating out in Portland I'll have several barrels to right
2: live right right yeah you too can eat you know seven pounds of kale a week uh, yeah I think <laughs> hey
0: that... the Dornfest diet man you and Rail between the two of you and your <laughs> The ageless beauty. Good heavens!
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I enough is said about this. We all now realize there is no arrival. There is no being a grown up. There is only growing up, and we continue to do it. I think that's the thing. You know, when people say, "Oh, I move my mom into a retirement community," that one tiny little statement is like describing the universe in in, <laughs> in one word. It, it is just I He's could spend he... the rest of my life talking about it.
1: Before you do it, when somebody says, I moved my mom into assisted living, it sounds like, remember those moves that you used to do when you were in your super, super early 20s, where you could move everything that you had in a cab from one apartment to another (laughs) apartment, right? And I think Uh, because there's not a whole lot of room in an assisted living, people think it's like that. They don't understand that it's culling down, figuring out what your parent needs and what your parent can stand to live without. They have all of their things that they've had forever. They have to edit all that down to what they really need. Sometimes you're dealing with memory issues too. And then you have to figure out what to do with the rest of their stuff. And then you have to figure out how to sell a house. I mean, yeah, I like I went through it with my grandmother's stuff and then with my uncle and then to a certain extent with my parents. Like every time it's just like, wow, why isn't there some sort of like ceremony for when you finish this, Absolutely. right? <laughs> like going and signing around this at the closing thought, is not a big enough deal.
2: I have thought the same thing about empty nesting. We're, there really should be more ritual around these, these transitions. But, you know, to speak to what you were saying about the downsizing process and even the thought process that goes into before the downsizing, all of that. It is so huge and momentous and it's different for everyone. I will say one practical thing for you systems thinker, um, <laughs> and that is there's an entire industry or field of expertise called senior move managers. There are actually people and companies that one can hire, generally at significant expense, but they do exist and they're amazing, who help with the decluttering part, the actual moving part, the packing part, all of that stuff. There are
1: people to help.
0: You know, what's really fascinating to me is the fact that Magnus had so much time to bring up the Swedish art of death cleaning and hasn't done so yet.
1: Don't think I'm not thinking about it, Doug.
0: <laughs> oh, I know you're thinking about <laughs> it. it. That's why I was I'm waiting for you to interject. because you
1: keep resisting watching the show. And no, I watched one. Just it's just It's, it's another
0: hoarding show. That's all it is. But it's, it's with eccentric another, characters it, who talk about sex more. It's a
1: Swedish hoarding show.
0: Exactly, which means they have more libertarian views about body parts and stuff.
1: Well, that's probably true. Body um, parts? All right. Asha, have well, seen... all right. I saw
0: one episode and this woman apparently collected exotic dildos.
1: Oh,
2: I see. Literally body parts. Okay. Yeah. she had to declutter her dildo collection? She had to declutter her
0: dildo collection as a way of, you know, they talk a lot about how people who carry a lot of stuff are living in the past and are kind of held down by their nostalgia. You surround yourself with the comforts of things that remind you of better times and that retards your process going forward. And so there's a lot of conversation one of the three people involved is a psychotherapist and talks about stuff like, what are you clinging to? What do you think about? What are your favorite times? Do you try to detach the intrinsic value of something and recognize that ultimately it's it's just a thing and ideas and memories are in your mind. They don't need to be reinforced by having a pile of stuff, dildos or otherwise, <laughs> that just clutter your home, but also clutter your forward thinking.
2: Mm-hmm. It's all true. And it's such a complex process. And it takes time. I I guess one thing I would say about all of this is that as overwhelming and difficult and inconvenient and all that stuff, I will say that as an only child, I have lived in fear of my parents getting old and dying for my whole life, especially my dad. In, In some ways, it almost kept me being like a kid myself, you know it was interesting you said did you grow up a little bit that is part of what helped me grow up realizing that I could survive this not only that I could learn from it and I that process of going through all those things those just those things that that really do look like sometimes like trash it was like an archaeological project into my own family history and it gave me something it's like parenting you know it's the hardest thing and it's the most joyful thing. And it's the most painful thing. And it's the most wonderful thing. And it's all the things. It's everything, everywhere, all at once, you know. (laughs) And um, it was the same when it came to helping my mom move and everything surrounding my dad's death.
0: As an oldest child, I feel somewhat the same. I'm gobsmacked that my parents are in their mid-80s and still with us and together and autonomous for the moment. I know I'm on borrowed time, I know inevitably I'll have to confront all these things about a system I don't understand. Even though, you know, there are helpful services, there are also parasitic services. You know, they are making money off of your vulnerability and your need for assistance. And there's a part of me that will never dislodge the idea that they're going to take advantage of a situation and look at like a very valuable armoire and say, yeah, I could probably get about 30 bucks for this. There's there's that level of mistrust that (laughs) Mm -hmm. just is in my DNA, unfortunately. But when you talk about dreading the idea that your father would ultimately leave us, mm-hmm. and he ended up leaving very abruptly. Yes. If you had the opportunity, and again, no, I'm just, ask. would you rather he were diagnosed with something where you would have a finite, longer amount of time to kind of bond with him in that way and see him out in a much more of a slow motion process? Or was it actually in a way, to have him leave so abruptly, did that spare any of your despair or was it kind of like ripping the bandaid off quickly?
2: Hmm. That is such a good question. I'm so glad you asked me because I literally welcome the opportunity to talk about things like this. My dad's very sudden death, I am grateful for it in that he didn't have to experience really Decline and the fear, or you know, whatever that comes with that. My dad was a daily exerciser, he was unbelievable. I mean, this man had a six pack at 85. Okay,
0: well, he my just, dad every, does too, but he that's just why he's watching golf.
2: Oh my god. Uh, okay, my dad enjoyed his six packs as well, uh, both kinds.
0: Um, but anyway. By the way, I'm not surprised that your first answer was a selfless one.
2: Well, for me, I certainly wish I had time because my dad, you know, he was sedated for the last period of time. I couldn't talk to him. But, you know, I think the bottom line is there's no way I can answer this because when I think about the fear that I've carried all my life, I had to go to a therapist to discuss this fear. And have a therapist tell me that I would be okay and that I would survive this. I would walk down the street and burst into tears in the middle of a day thinking that this would happen in the future. That's how scared I was. So the fact that this period of time was so brief, this period of like, oh no, what's going to happen? It was not long because very quickly we knew what was going to happen. In some ways, I think that's probably a good thing. All that said, you know, this sort of like, normal sounding person that is having this conversation with you right now, uh, I that person did not exist for about three years. So between my dad's death and the pandemic, I was devastated and I wasn't operating very well. You know, the grief process was excruciating.
0: I suspected that. I wanted to reach out and you never know what to say except to just say, look, I'm out here thinking about you and yeah. wishing all the best for you and your family. And You never know how intrusive that could be at any given moment.
2: I think that's always the best thing to say. And very rarely is it intrusive, you know. But I am here to say that my therapist was right all those years ago. I made it through and I'm here. And not only am I here, but I'm happy, you know. My dad had a good life and I'm happy. My mom's still here. We're managing and it's okay.
0: And you've got her close by. So she's going to live out her life Mm -hmm. with her daughter right nearby. And that's got to be a great Again, thinking forward, this is your new normal, which is most ways a lot better.
2: It is. And, and, you know, and I say this given the fact that my mom's and my relationship has been quite complicated over my lifetime. It's not like it's just been like, woohoo, me and mom, you know? I mean, we've had our (laughs) problems. We really have. And, And we need a distance for some time, too. I don't mean to say that it's just like all hunky dory and it's all so easy. And, but, relationships can evolve. And ours has.
0: Well, this trip sounds like, in part, it served as like an exorcism. Yeah. In many ways to kind of finally commit the last three terrible years to the past. Grief is part of us now. We'll always miss your dad. And I imagine you and she may have had some discussions about that, that you may have avoided before. I know Mm -hmm. lots of people who grieve with their remaining parent, but Not nearly as intimately as they might like, just because Mm -hmm. it's not the right time or they're just not built the same way. But there's a lightness there. I get the sense that this kind of was purged a lot of the toxins uh, or whatever remaining detritus that reminded you of how crappy the past three years had been. And it's like, enough, enough of that. Let's move on. That's so
2: perceptive, Doug, because (laughs) you're right. It was. It really was a threshold of sorts. And it's interesting when you say, you know, processing grief together. I process things pretty deeply. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty philosophical and I think about deep stuff and my mom's just like, "Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it." It's not that she's unwilling, but that's not where she goes. You know, we don't approach grief the same way we did not uh respond the same way. We're still not in the same place and we went through it together. So We were sort of doing our own little parallel things that were very different, but we were at least doing them in concert.
1: Well, it seems like it was the movement aspect and the traveling aspect of it that Mm -hmm. was really key for your mom. Because when I heard that you were taking this trip, these trips with your mom, I was like, oh, this seems like a movie, almost like generic bucket list to do with your aging parent, kind of. Right, And... Now, hearing you talk about it, it's your mom's modality, the travel, right? Totally. And it makes me think like, oh, there's nothing wrong with not going on a road trip with your parent if a road trip isn't going to be meaningful or have any sort of currency for your parents. Oh,
2: absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because it's not like, now, listeners, you should take a road trip with your parents if you really <laughs> want to be a good kid. Right. This is not that at all. My dad and mom took so many cross-country road trips. It's ridiculous. And this was very much, what can my mom and I do that's fun, that we both care about? So it was very
1: particular to the two of us. Other people wouldn't have been able to do it. I mean, I'm sure there are people who are listening who are thinking about the idea of being in a hotel room with their parent and thinking that it would be the worst, like they just wouldn't be able to bear it.
2: Totally, you know, and and again, I think that's the thing. Like, we should all figure out what works. You know, like I grew up doing that, so that's why for me, it's okay. My husband, when I said, you know, I'm going to do this, he said, "How could you possibly do that?" Like, my husband <laughs> could never, ever do that. He could not have come with us on this trip. It just happened to work for us.
0: And there was a lot of overlap in terms of the things both you and your mom wanted to do. You could find that compromise, and you can negotiate, I guess, when you need to.
2: You know, like we went and saw an IMAX movie. Who doesn't like IMAX, right? We looked at beautiful viewpoints. You know, we both love scenery. So that was easy. It definitely took flexibility on my part, but we generally are both similar enough in our tastes and flexible enough on the details that we could make it work.
0: Now, she's also acclimating to a new place to live. I mean, she's around her peers and hopefully fitting in there, but how much responsibility do you feel as the... Portlandian by comparison to kind of help smooth her uh, transition as much as possible?
2: That's a good question. I am really setting some boundaries there more for myself than for my mom. First of all, want to respect that she is an adult. She is not my kid, so I don't want to treat her like
1: my kid.
0: The muscle memory, though, makes you think you might Catch yourself treating yeah. her that way, even though she's not. Yeah, Right, like Absolutely. looking
1: up the schedules for pickleball class, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, as much as mom and I would love to go check out Portland, it's really important for me, first of all, to maintain boundaries in my own life, prioritize my own friendships, not just basically move into my mom becoming my social life, because that that's possible. She needs to also bond with the people where she's living, if that's something that she wants to do. I mean, that's up to her. But if I'm constantly there filling every conversational need, and picking up every single grocery and doing every little thing, it's just not in any way helpful to her in the long term. Yeah, you can't be her only creating a new home. Yeah. So many
0: parallels here with an 18-year-old child, too. I can't do everything for you either.
2: Yeah, it's really true. It's so interesting, all the parallels, and at the same time, really recognizing that, first of all, my mom is a person with a lifetime of experience. And second of all, she's very different than I am. I don't have authority over her. And finally, she's a person who's contending with the final years of her life. I mean, she's in a very different place in terms of her priorities, in terms of how she wants to spend her time, even how mindful she wants to be about that. Generally, she doesn't want to think about it. And, you know, here I am, like, let's think about it. Like, you know, like <laughs> what do you want for dinner?
0: Do we have your mom's non-willingness to discuss this to thank for a parent of adults? <laughs> because For, all of that thinking and discussion and perception had to go somewhere?
2: <laughs> you mean my newsletter? Is that what you're talking about?
0: Oh, do you have a newsletter? Oh, oh. what? Wow, uh, that's what a coincidence. <laughs> so do we. <laughs>
2: well, it is sort of ironic because I started this newsletter on Substack called Parent of Adults because I thought it would be really nice to write about this transition to becoming the parent of people who are, first of all, adults, and second of all, people who don't live with me anymore. And there didn't seem to be a heck of a lot of people talking about it. And I kind of wonder what's going on with other people.
1: I I feel like the only people talking about it are really maudlin. Like, there's a whole lot about... Oh my god, you're moving your child into college. How are you going to survive? You need to take your, you know, your white knuckles of the death grip <laughs> off them as you cry as you leave them in their dorm room and all this stuff that and, is, like That is
0: one of your best Laura Petrie uh, impersonations how... I've ever heard and you're okay, good how at
1: do We could we could talk about
2: that? this for many hours. Exactly. When I started looking things up, it was like uh I'm not exactly cheering that my children are leaving, but at the same time, that tone is not my tone. Right. And right. So anyway, I started this newsletter. Uh, You know, really, it's not just about me telling my story. Really, I want to just talk to people about this stuff. And then, uh, you know, all the stuff with my mom is happening. And it's so amazing to me how there are so many parallels. And not only that, so many people want to talk about their aging parents. Yeah. It's sort of like, well, the kids are doing okay. We don't have to talk about that. Let's talk about our aging parents. I mean, that is part and parcel of this time for many of us. So it is pretty interesting that all of these things are coming together with the parallel storyline of me being a fake grown-up myself. (laughs) So (laughs) who's the adult here?
0: But doesn't it make sense that we're the generation of people who began writing about our families online, and the big story was... Cloth, diapers, or disposables, as ridiculous as that was and is.
2: (laughs) Oh, those were the days.
0: Weren't they, though? Weren't they, though? It was a different time. (laughs) Those
2: fascinating conversations.
0: (laughs) But now it makes sense that people doing this for 20 years, writing about our lives, writing about our families, writing about our responsibilities, writing about how our lives are transformed when our kids arrive, our lives are equally transformed when our kids go. And it's especially interesting, too, because it's parent of adults and you never indicate how old those adults are. I mean, to me, that struck me as a straight up reference to sandwich parenting in that Mm -hmm. I'm a parent of 18 and 20 year olds, but I'm also fulfilling a parent role to an 80 something. And I need to find the similarities in that process and I need to find the differential in that process because I am my daughter's mother, but I'm not my mother's mother.
2: Right, right. All the parallels only struck me later on. You know, it's interesting, Doug, what you're saying about the fact that this generation of parents, you know, we sort of started off that initial crop of parent bloggers and sharers online. And now here we are. I predict that these next couple of years, there is going to be a flourishing of content about this midlife and these transitions, I think our generation of bloggers now I might be being idealistic and naive here, this would not be the first time, but I feel like (laughs) we are poised to sort of recoalesce that community at this particular transition and talk about it in a way that maybe harkens back to the past in sort of a kinder, gentler era of the internet. I don't know. I think this is an amazing time for us to all come back together, not in some organized way. You know, I just but even just like this, the three of us talking like this.
1: Yeah, I think that we are the generation that has sort of always felt like we've been bait and switched at every stage. And when we figured out that we could talk about it publicly on the internet in whatever format, we decided we were going to do that. That's why there's been this huge flourishing of like everybody talking about perimenopause and menopause. And the big complaint is nobody told me this was going to happen because our mothers weren't allowed to talk about it. Even the women who are only 15 years older than we were, weren't allowed to talk about it. So yeah, of course we're going to talk about it. And uh, that was why I wanted to do the podcast with Doug was because it was like, oh, okay, so now we can talk about this again. And part of it Also, I think is when your kids are in your home, it's very hard to talk about the experience of parenting without sharing your kids' details, which you don't want to do. But then once they're out of your house, you can talk about your experience again without exposing their specific details.
2: That's true. And that's very interesting. In fact, that actually was why I named my newsletter Parent of Adults, because it is very much a story about me. It's not that the newsletter is about me. It's that we as parents have our own story to tell and share. And it's not really about our kids. Certainly it is informed by our kids, our adult kids, but it is not about them. It's really about us, you know, And, and we could say that about this empty nest period as well. It's really about us now. And the interesting thing is, While we can tell our own stories and, you know, basically leave our kids out of it, the fact is, unlike when they were little babies, our kids can subscribe to our newsletter. So can our moms. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a very interesting audience issue because these are now public conversations. And when we started all those years ago with blogging, do you remember how it was back then when We would blog and there was this small number of people who were blogging. Mm -hmm. And if we told our friend on the street, Oh, yeah, I have a blog. They'd say, What's a blog? So there was the separation. Yeah. There's no more separation. Yeah. It's now everyone because everyone's either on social media or they're, you know, whatever, listening to podcasts or whatever they're doing. So it's an interesting, interesting blending and sort of evolution of how our kids are involved in our stories. You know, ultimately, hopefully, I believe. They will know me better by the stuff that I write. And I talk to them very clearly about permission. I talk to my mom too.
0: Well, I love the fact that our boys are going to have reams of things that Magda and I have written over the years. In fact, you know, I've shown them the, uh, the blog post that announced our divorce and hundreds and hundreds of comments mm. wishing us well. And
2: I remember that blog post. Boy.
0: And assuring us we were going to do fine because we had genuine support from people. It was the exact type of support that I know I needed. Yeah. So it's a great footprint to leave for your kids and grandkids. I mean, imagine I would love to have as much information about my parents as our kids have about us.
2: Well, I'm thinking about the fact that your kids are going to have your literal voices this podcast, conversations (laughs) between the two of you. Seriously, it's amazing.
0: Well, I guess it's better than have him thinking of my voice only in the terms of asking him to empty the dishwasher again.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, it's true. I'm like to my daughter, can you set the table? I was like, dang.
1: I guess I hadn't really thought about that, that there's going to be so much. When my grandfather died, he just had paintings and paintings and paintings and drawings and all this stuff. And at a certain point, it was like, wow, none of us have enough wall space. For how prolific my grandfather was. And we started giving them away and got criticism for that. Really? Right? The people are from- like, oh, how could you give away that painting by your grandfather? And it's like, well, I've got six more at home that are better. Like, <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? Yeah. Well, let's have this, a brief like, discussion half- about
0: how much your opinion matters.
1: Yeah,
2: fingers. <laughs> right? Who would say uh, such a thing?
0: You know, speaking of legacy. I had an earth-shattering moment last year. My parents sat me down. I was visiting. And they said, we'd like you to write our eulogies. And for them to even talk about that, for whatever reason, we just didn't talk a lot about the inevitable. And then for them to say, you know what? We'd like you to write our eulogies. And my father handed me a manila envelope full of stuff. Bam. Here's stuff I've written. Stuff's been written about me. Here's my timeline, the Navy, the college.
1: He basically had a press kit.
0: He had a press kit, yeah. We put together a press kit and, and it landed on my lap with a thud. Now, my mom doesn't have a press kit. So what we did instead, we just sat and talked about her life for about three hours. And I have a draft email of like all the things she'd like to be included in her eulogy about art school and living in New York and, and all the rest of it. And so given the abruptness of your father's departure, first of all, did you write his eulogy?
2: No. um. So first of all, abrupt departure, like you said. Second of all, my dad was a completely quiet person. He was a man of very, very few words. So us having a conversation with a press kid or not, like it would have been very, very brief. And then the main reason I would have, but The pandemic shut everything down. It was not possible to have a memorial. It wasn't possible to have a funeral. It wasn't possible to do anything. Plus, we got trapped up in Portland because of lockdown. I was down in the Bay Area while my dad was in the hospital. My dad passed away. I spent a month there helping my mom organize things. We came up to Portland. We thought just temporarily to watch my daughter in a school play. And then my mom got trapped here for lockdown. So we wow. were also in a place where we did not have access to my parents' friends or anybody. So there was no eulogy. There was a an obituary, which I wrote, but that's what happened. And I think that what you're describing, Doug, that sounds like a total gift. First of all, a gift for them, because I know that you'll write something amazing. But second of all, for them to give that to you, to trust you with that, first of all, to be brave enough to even suggest such a thing, basically to go there, but also just to open up those conversations. I mean, that's just incredible.
0: Now, has your dad had his service?
2: Oh, that's a whole, that's a whole long story. <laughs> I don't know that my mom is really capable of it. My mom has really been hesitant. I think rituals are so important and coming together is so important. And I think part of the reason that my grief was so long and so difficult to process was that I had no access to those rituals.
0: Yeah. The idea of coming together to grieve was withheld from you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And for, for one reason or another, a Zoom memorial that just wasn't possible or even conceivable for my mom. So it just was out of reach.
0: Well, did writing the obituary help at all or was it still too close to the bone?
2: Way too close. I I did so much during those early weeks, and I don't exactly know how I did it. So, no, no, that wasn't. I have since done a bunch of things privately, actually, that have helped. So, yeah, that's that's a whole other story, It really is actually.
0: Well, reason enough to have you on again to talk, talk about, about this. Let's talk
2: about death some more.
0: <laughs> well, I I respect the fact that I
2: actually enjoy this was a private
0: process for you, and it no. was. A-
2: yes, it's private. But actually, I love being able to talk about this because it's so important. Strangely, there is joy in it. It's not the kind of joy like happy joy, but there is something elemental and grounding that I have experienced. And I feel like, I don't know, I'm on the other side and I can talk to people about it.
0: Well, it sounds like the private nature in many ways was sort of imposed on you because, I mean, you have a great husband, you have great kids. You have a great mom, yeah. But you don't have any siblings. That there's a particular grief that siblings can share that's unique, yeah. right. And and you don't have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, uh, one of my best friends is an only child who just buried his parents within a year of each other. And he, we talked about this a lot actually, about mm-hmm. how he processed his own grief because he really had nowhere to go. Yeah.
2: There's just one little personal coda to that aspect of going through it alone as an only child. I have some amazing cousins, one of whom is my cousin in India, who is my, so my dad was from India and my dad's brother lives in India. Um, His daughter is somebody who was very close to my dad and in many ways knew him almost better than I did because they both, you know, spoke my dad's native language and I don't. So that is something that's really, really lucky. And I think if there are any only children listening to this, I just want to say that there are people that are ready to share this with you. I found those people. You're not going to go through this completely alone.
1: Well, and I think there's also a benefit to being an only and finding those people who want to go through it with you because not all sibling groups can go through it well. Together,
2: very I mean, true. When my
1: brother and I have gone through it, we were very intentional about verbalizing how we were going to stick together in the process and what was going to be important and what was just going to fall by the wayside because we had seen too many sibling groups fall apart over the death of an older relative and different priorities. So I think the assumption that it's easier if you have siblings to share it with is not always true. For me, it's very true. I agree with
2: you. And there are those people who very strangely and they regretted their phrasing, but I understood what they were saying. They would just blurt out, you're so lucky that you're doing this by yourself. (laughs) Because what they were saying basically was Oh, wow. And then they would look horrified, like, did I just say that to Asha? (laughs) Right? But I understood what they meant, which was- they had conflict with a sibling or a sibling who didn't show up or worse, you know, yeah. money problems, you know, things like that. So, yeah, there's no straightforward path.
0: Well, speaking of those of Indian descent, have you read Dr. Gawande's book, uh, absolutely. Being Mortal?
2: Everybody should read that book. Atul Gawande is the author and the book is called Being Mortal. And I think it's just an absolutely incredible book that makes you think differently about your own elderly relatives and their approaching transition, Uh, not to be too euphemistic, but, I mean, it is a transition for the whole family.
0: Have you read that, Magna?
2: No. I was going to borrow it from you.
0: And I just haven't done it. Yeah, That's a whole other conversation, just about how indispensable that book is and Mm -hmm. how altering it is in terms of just reconsidering your place in the world.
2: I think the other thing that he did in that book – Which in many ways, now that you're mentioning it, it informed our choice to go on this road trip and my choice to prioritize it. Because one of the things that he talked about in that book was instead of just focusing on the decline, asking them, how do they want to live? How do they want to spend this time? What's enjoyable? I thought about that. Like, okay, my mom's got a diagnosis on board. It's only going to go downhill from here. And so what is the best possible way to spend this time right now? I never think about my life that way.
0: So what choices do you think are ahead of you now that this new arrangement is in place and your mom is in her new home and you've kind of cleared a few of the cobwebs? How would you like your mom to spend the rest of her life? What other plans do you have?
2: Well, interestingly, part of the urgency I feel is actually to start living my life with my husband. <laughs> I mean, we've been living yeah, you life, mentioned obviously, that. Yeah. but you know, the conversations with my mom, but obviously these last few years remind me that my husband and I also don't know how much time we've got. We're healthy right now. We could do some stuff. We need to do some stuff right now. So that part of my mom living here is also helping her embrace this new chapter of her life and maintain the fact that part of that is embracing me living my life. So I cannot now make my life all about making my mom's dreams come true. I have got to focus on making my own dreams come true and including my mom everywhere I possibly can. And so there's going to be some travel for my husband and me for sure. But when I think about my mom and me, it's sort of like I want to spend everyday time together. That's something that we can do now that we couldn't do for a long time because we live so far apart. You know, I go to doctor's appointments with my mom, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that's like, woohoo, doctor's appointments. And my mom's like, oh God, not another one. Right. (laughs) Um, But I'm really glad to be doing that kind of stuff with her. Also, there's a lot of stuff in Portland and in the Pacific Northwest. I'm really excited to show her this town. I'm really excited for her to be able to spend more time with my kids. And it's a shame that she moved here right as they left, you know, so they're not here often either. So these road trips are sort of like shiny and, you know, sexy, if you want to call it that, like, woo, big road trip with my mom, but really. Shiny,
0: sexy road trips. Yeah, That's the exactly.
2: Book. Sexy, sexy. With Look the, for
0: it in spring of 25. With
2: the, with the walker and everything. And uh, <laughs> but really, it's about this everyday time with my mom. I mean, that's where it was at with my kids, if I really think about it. I mean, I loved all those trips to Disneyland and all the other stuff, but I really want to focus on what we can do right here.
0: Uh, well, Ash, this has been a great discussion, Then it could be five more, because there's so much more we could talk about in terms of the complex nature of our relationship with our parents, mm-hmm. how it changes when they become a bit more infirm and, re- and need more help from us, right? and the boundaries that that requires. I'm such a big fan of Parent of Adults. I'm so glad you're writing again. I totally get why you weren't for a while, but I'm so glad that you're re-emerging in this format because if anyone can set forth to be the voice of a particular cohort of people who are going through this, the things you've endured, the things you've grown from, I'm so glad you're writing about it and providing a resource for other people to have and interact with. And knowing you as I have for 20 years, it's just so great to see your face again. So thanks for coming years. on.
2: years. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And Magda, I think we figured out that I think you and I were internet friends before Doug and I even. The I think Ask so. Moxie yeah. blog. Yeah. Anyway, I just, I'm so grateful to be able to talk to you about these things, just that we can even talk about these things. Not to mention that, that we're recording it and sharing it and all that kind of good right. stuff. Podcasting is the most incredible thing. And I was very sad to stop podcasting, but it became so clear to me that my Life had changed so dramatically so much that I needed to catch up with that life before I could really talk about it. So, yes, I'm I'm thrilled to be writing again. I think it's important, but really I'm I'm thrilled to just be connecting again. That's the main thing. And share and laugh about it, too. There's a lot that's funny about all of this stuff.
0: Well, that's how we literally managed to whistle past the graveyard.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. And if
0: you ever do decide to go back to podcasting, I mean, you have both... The voice and the voice to mm-hmm. be a huge part of it. So Thank whatever you're going to do, you know, the two of us will support you to the end.
1: I feel the same about you. I don't yeah. have any oh, wow. memory that's for like... years of the, like, I don't have any memory of which year I was which either. at all. No.
2: Yeah, I, I don't either. All I well, know. That's why
0: you and that... I are a good team in that way.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All I know is that they were formative years for us, not only as writers but as parents you know yeah. and we and we went through it all together yeah yeah like you said magda you know like this is not what i expected this is right. not what they told me this was going to be like that brought us together it absolutely I think did sorry go ahead no that's it for me
0: <laughs> no i cut off magda so if you wanted to say it you know no. it absolutely did or whatever
1: oh it yeah, absolutely it like, did <laughs> this is the curse of us podcasting together is every time I try to say something, he says something and then he stops to let me say something. And then I say something and he says something.
2: (laughs) I'm just, I'm imagining us all making that, that finger motion, like yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the cameras
0: are supposed to help uh, stave that off, and are I know I don't. Right?
2: <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's also like a practice thing. That whole cadence of podcasting, maybe it just you know takes a little practice to get there. But mm-hmm. whatever it is, I love being able to talk to both of you at the same time and see you, and, and not just because of our friendship, but the but the way that we're recording all of this together. It's it's you know this isn't an interview. This is a conversation,
1: right?
0: Asha, it's great to talk to you. And for the record, let's let us know once again uh, where you're writing, where people can subscribe, hear more about what you're doing and how beautiful your writing is, and read more about your trip with, uh, with your mom.
2: All right. Well, if you're interested in the trip with my mom, you can follow me on Instagram at Asha Dornfest. I have a little highlight that has a bunch of pictures of our road trip, so you can check that out from Instagram stories. But really, what I want is for you to subscribe to my newsletter, Parent of Adults. It's on Substack. And the reason I want you to subscribe is because I really would like to talk to you and hear what's going on with you, if any of the stuff, you know, sort of resonated with you. So it's really, uh, like this podcast, that newsletter is a conversation. And the address is ashadornfest.substack.com.
0: Yeah, I imagine this is going to be an evergreen discussion topic as well, because... The more you know, the more you find out how much you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and the more um, you just,
2: and, and everyone goes through it. And it's like, I remember saying like, why doesn't anyone talk about this? Why didn't I know this? Why didn't someone tell me this? Just like with parenting.
1: Yeah, yeah. very. It is just like with parenting.
2: And I, you know, there's not like a whole huge influencer culture around it of people telling us what to do. And it's not like our actual culture tells us what to do either.
0: Thank you for listening to episode six of the When the Flames Go Up podcast with Magda Pechenia and me, Doug French. Our guest has been Asha Dornfest. Uh, We'll have another discussion about being mortal very soon, I'm very sure. But uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.